Blog Talk Radio.
But for each of those in one year more, God has smiled upon the core. From the Barbary Coast to the Eastern Sand, by sword, by gun, or by bare hand. So it's been and shall be weighed. Though many are born, few are made. Faithful always they shall remain. Dogs to loose when war is waged. United States Marine Corps. Finest fighting force the world has ever known, and I number myself as one. Welcome, folks, to another hour of the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Today's date is October 25th, 2012. Wow, just two short weeks before election time, and you're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones, United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. And here we are here in beautiful Old Town Alexandria, putting on a show for you tonight, talking about the issues of the day and also a little bit of history. But let's let's talk about Obama, a liar in chief. Barack Obama is well, you know what? Here's the thing: most most politicians lie or deceive us in some way, or so or so we are so jaded to believe. And honesty, um, you know, I think, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to think regarding these things. But calling someone a liar is a serious accusation. Now, an article in the American Thinker by Swellen Duke uh, speaks to this issue. Calling someone a liar is a serious accusation. This is why, aside from the unwritten contract allowing for mutual provocation, politicians are so reluctant to do it. And not just anyone is a liar. Legend has it that our first president said, and I quote, I cannot tell a lie, end quote. But being only human, George Washington no doubt could and certainly did at some point. A liar, however, is someone who lives and breathes the lie. Someone who specializes in the art of uh, artifice. Someone to whom lying is his first recourse, not his last. Uh, Such a man is Barack Hussein Obama. In four years, Obama has gone from change we can believe in to a man you simply cannot believe as is indicated in uh, his this latest Benghazi fiasco, where the Obama administration truly wants us to believe that he, he and he alone, by sheer force of his will and personality, has ushered in a new respect for America, a unity, if you will. Not only has he gone so far as to state that there are no red states, no blue states, only the United States of America, but that we are one world, united. 
And so the Benghazi incident on 9-11, the terrorist attack which killed four Americans, doesn't sort of fit very nicely into that, that illusion that he would have us live by or believe in. The illusion that in the four years since he's taken office, America has garnered new respect. And that, uh, that America is much more safe, safer, and much more loved and admired today than it was during the Bush years, since before he took office. So, of course, since the Obama administration failed to provide requested security for our Libyan diplomats, despite previous attacks on their consulate, and the approach of the 9-11 anniversary, the president has vested political interest in Suppressing the truth. This made the Benghazi gate lie one of callousness and convenience, not malice. But then there is the matter of Hampton University in Virginia. The speech Obama gave there on June 5, 2007, received a bit of attention recently before being dismissed as just old news. But perhaps nothing reveals the president's character better. Apparently, before a mostly black audience, in speaking Ebonic style, despite never having lived in a black community, in Chicago, he lived in, uh, in Hyde Park, which is not the black community. Obama accused the federal government of showing cruel indifference to the primarily black victims of Hurricane Katrina. The evidence he claimed involved something called the Stafford Act, which requires a locality receiving federal disaster relief to provide 10%, as much money as Washington does, and as Obama worked the crowd, he said, and I quote, When 9-11 happened in New York City, they waived the Stafford Act, and that was the right thing to do. When Hurricane Andrew struck in Florida, people said, Look at this devastation. We don't expect you to come up with your money, your own money. Here, here's the money to rebuild, because you're part of the American family. What happened down in New Orleans? Where's your dollar? Where's your Stafford Act money? Makes no sense. Tells me that something, somehow, the black people down in New Orleans, they don't care about as much. End quote. This is Radical Grievance 101. The main course of offering a community organizer or agitator and, and <clears throat> it, it's no small matter as stroking the fires of racial and ethnic hatred had cost scores of millions of lives throughout history yet isn't there something to be said about raising awareness of injustice? Indeed. Well, now for the rest of the story. Barely two weeks before Obama gave the Hampton University speech, the U.S. Senate had in fact waived the Stafford Act for New Orleans. Moreover, the city ended up receiving more aid than Florida and New York City combined. But that's not all, as Thomas Stowell wrote. And I quote, Unlike Jeremiah Wright's church, the U.S. Senate keeps a record 
of who was there on any given day. The congressional record for May 24, 2007 shows Senator Barack Obama present that day and voting on the bill that waived the Stafford Act requirement. Moreover, he was one of just 14 senators who voted against, repeat, against the legislation, which included the waiver. Absolutely mind-boggling. Obama votes against the bill that includes the waiver designed to help people about whom he purported to care. Yet the bill passed despite his resistance. Obama nonetheless appears before a black audience not two weeks later, folks, and claims that the waiver for the aid was, the, the aid was never granted. Do you hear me? Do you feel my pain? He later, he clearly implies that this was due to white, quote, racism, end quote. Then there is the almost ironic chapter in Obama's Annals of Artifice. It's common to dismiss those who question the president's origins as cracks and cranks and, cause and, and con men. But as American Thinker pointed out, Obama was the original birther. Yeah. This refers to the revelation in May of this year that Obama formerly, Obama's former literary agency, Action and Dysel, printed a promotional booklet in 1991 that touted Obama as having been, quote, born in Kenya and raised in Indonesia and Hawaii. Note, this was a polished volume created at great expense by a professional outfit. And there's only one source from which it, its agents could have gotten the notion that Obama was born in Kenya from Obama himself. Thus, it's hard to escape the conclusion that the president has lied about his birthplace either when claiming more recently that he was born in Hawaii, or far more likely when claiming in 1991 that he wasn't. And it's easy to understand why he would have claimed the later, the latter. By the 1990s, having exotic origins could truly enhance your cachet, enhance your markability. And this little twist on truth at that time, was small potatoes for a guy willing to discourse lies designed to foment racial unrest. And this brings us to the president's debate, the presidential debates. It's, it's fine to fact check, to reveal that Obama really did lie about the decline in oil, oil production on federal lands, tax breaks for shipping jobs overseas, middle-class tax cuts, Egyptians' newfound love for America, and the status of force agreement. But at some point, it's a bit like trying to itemize the libations of a guy who has crashed 
both his cars, squandering the family funds on booze, thus staggering home in the wee hours, and and is a continual embarrassment around the neighbors. No one, you no longer need to prove that certain individual drinks were, were, were imbibed. It's painfully clear that the individual is a drinker. While hardcore partisans will remain in denial on our drunk on power president, good people, good, good decent people who generally have a desire to be polite should realize that politeness becomes vice when it obscures the truth. If we don't wish to descend into dishonesty ourselves, the intellectual variety, we need to acknowledge that the truth about Barack Obama is that he simply cannot tell it. Now, most of what I just said is from an an article by Still Duke of the American Thinker. But moreover, folks, Barack Hussein Obama has been going around the last couple of days just stating that it all boils down. This election, he had the guile and the gall to announce on several campaign stops over the last three days that it all boils down to who do you trust? Who do you trust? Clearly, we cannot trust Barack Hussein Obama because he will do anything to get your vote, including lie outright to your face. Knowing full well that the truth is either a phone call away or a few internet keystrokes away. It doesn't matter. Because he believes, Barack Hussein Obama believes, that you're too stupid to do your homework and research, that you believe. You believe whatever he says. Because he's, after all, Barack. We'll be right back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. The call-in number is 347-884-8500. can be traced back to the independence of India, the land of my fathers. Barack Obama's journey to America can be traced back to the independence of Kenya, the land of his fathers. Tonight, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, change has come to America. The U.S government has not had a budget for over a thousand days and counting. So what he's doing is pitting one class of Americans against another. And we can't afford the same political games and tactics that always pit us against one another. We are all shaped by our past 
and we carry elements of the past into the future. But we have to be careful, because nothing can rob the future quite as much as the debts of the past. When Congress refuses to act, then I have an obligation as president to do what I can without them. Good afternoon, and welcome to another exciting episode of Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm the hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with the coolest co-host, Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Annie. Thank you for that beautiful introduction, as always. Southern Sense with the radio chick, Annie, as you just heard, Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Live and direct with GZ Rock. Yo, yo. Ah, <laughs> Yo, yo. What's going on, my peoples? What's going on, my peeps? Chisky loves his peeps, he loves his radio family, and you can join him Monday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 4. Stay up late for Conservative Primetime. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Conservative Primetime. I'm your host, GGT. Speaking of a little less bark and a little more bite, Conservative Primetime is not a show to relax to. It'll get you going weeknights at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, the headmaster himself with the Situation Report, C. Robert Jones, Ph.D. In the interest of full disclosure, I have had... Just a little bit to drink. <laughs> and catch the Situation Report weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a group of patriotic internet radio hosts, and they would very much like you to join them. And brush your teeth. I mean, tell your friends. All right, welcome. Welcome back to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones. In Obama's world, in Obama's world, there is no you. President Obama inadvertently reveals his true post-Marxist colors at every single turn. Southern Sense has just sent me a message, and the answer is, oh, yeah. Yes, indeedy. No one's asked until now, but yeah, yeah, I'm digging that. The um, uh, 11-6 election marathon, 8 to 9 p.m., that's right, that's right, I guess... uh, I, I hadn't been contacted about it, but yeah, if I'm, you know, if there's a slot for me, I'm in there. All right, y- y- yeah, that's going to be great. President Obama inadvertently reveals his Marxist colors. 
but perhaps nowhere more starkly than in his irresistible impulse to look Americans in the eye and say, and I quote, this isn't about you, end quote. What is sometimes correctly described as his coldness is more precisely the lifelong leftist pathological habit of converting concrete human lives into an abstract, quote, composite, end quote, humanity, which to his corrupt intellect seems more real than life itself. Examples of this reality-defying collectivist mechanism abound in Obama's public statements. Consider the first question of the second presidential debate. A 20-year-old college student, Jeremy Epstein, asked, and I quote, What can you say to reassure me, but more importantly my parents, that I will be able to sufficiently support myself after I graduate? End quote. Both candidates naturally use the opportunity to discuss their broader ideas for encouraging job growth and an affordable college education. Mitt Romney, however, personalizes his answer to demonstrate his appreciation for the real-life predicament of his questioner, with remarks such as, or like, or specifically, quote, I want you to be able to get a job, end quote. I know what it takes to make sure you have the kind of opportunity you deserve, end quote. And, quote, I'm going to make sure that when you graduate, when you come out in 2014, you get a job, end quote, emphasis added, faced with the same real live human being, Obama's collective Collectivizing instincts kicks in, producing the following remark with emphasis added. The fact that you're making an investment in higher education is critical, not just to you, but to the entire nation. Quote at the beginning of that and then in the quote. Quote, the fact that you're going to college is great, but I want everybody to get a great education. End quote. Quote, we've worked hard to make sure that student loans are available for folks like you. But I also want to make sure that community colleges are offering slots for workers to get retrained. End quote. Quote, if we do these things, I'm sorry, if we do those things, not only is your future going to be bright, but America's future is going to be bright as well. Four personalized remarks from Obama in the space of two minutes, all four of them deliberately belittling a young man asking the candidate to reassure him and his parents about his future. Each of Obama's remarks is a variation on a single theme. This isn't about you, Jeremy. Consider, in particular, the second comment. Quote, the fact that you're going to college is great, but I want everybody to get a great education, end quote. Why the but? 
Could a president dismiss the individual hopes, fears, and hard work and dreams of a young citizen any more thoroughly by looking him in the eye and saying, in effect, well, that's all well and good, but what about everyone else? Young Mr. Epstein was not the only individual to have his personal interests trivialized during that debate. Let us not forget this uh, pitch-perfect Obama corker delivered in answer to a question about the administration's denial of extra security to the U.S. Embassy in Libya prior to al-Qaeda's uh, movie protest in Benghazi. Quote, As soon as we found out the Benghazi consulate was being overrun. I was on the phone with my national security team, and I gave them three instructions. Number one, beef up our security and procedures, not just in Libya, but in every embassy and consulate in the region. We all know that the president is a chronically, grammatically challenged individual, but his past continuous tense in that sentence the Benghazi consulate was being overrun, indicates that he's talking about his initial reaction to the attack as it happened, rather than after the fact. So he's saying that even while his diplomatic staff in Libya was under attack, even while his ambassador was being sodomized and, ass and assassinated, his first priority was, quote, security and procedures. But not just in Libya. In other words, the ambassador to Ambassador Stevens, the belated message is in effect, I understand you're being killed right now, but this isn't about you, Chris. End quote. He just cannot resist any opportunity to downplay the importance of any actual human being's experience in favor of projecting abstract collectivist goals. And this, of course, is nothing new to President Obama. Consider his most famous remarks from the 2008 campaign, quote, the spread of wealth, end quote line. Aside from revealing his socialist inclinations, this encounter also exemplified his deep-seated reflex against individuals as such. Here is the other famous soundbite from his response to Joe Wozenblatcher's question about tax implications of the plumber's new small business venture. And it's famous. You've all heard it. And I quote, It's not that I want to punish your success. I just want to make sure that everybody who is behind you, that they've got a good chance at success too. End quote. In other words, your success is nice and all that, but this isn't about you, Joe. And this year, having smoothed out his spread the wealth around faux pas into the new and improved Marxist euphemism, shared prosperity, Obama apparently no longer feels it is necessary to pretend he does not want to punish success. The big applause line from his famous, quote, you didn't build that, end quote, rant against wealthy people came during the bitter mocker, mockery of his perfunctory remarks. Quote, 
if you've been successful, you didn't get there on your own. I'm always struck by people who think, well, it must be because I was just so smart. There are a lot of smart people out there. It must be because I worked harder than anybody else. Let me tell you something. There are a whole bunch of hardworking people out there. End quote. In other words, if you're successful, don't you dare credit it to your good ideas or hard work. There's nothing to distinguish you from anyone else except the unfair amount of help you receive from society. society. This is why, according to this, this view, it is reasonable to demand that you give an ever-increasing share of the fruits of your success back to society, to those who are just as smart and hardworking as you are, but who, who were denied the help that you got. In this case, Obama's uh, penchant for abstract, composite humanity does double duty, in addition to giving him the convenient alternative reality with which to overwhelm the petty existence of every real person he encounters, it provides him a convenient stockpile of caricatures, targets, and, and, and class hatred. As they do not exist, he in improvis. He's in our improvis to your to your counter argument that they're mere caricatures. Note Obama's words themselves. I'm always struck by people who think, well, it must be because I was just so smart. End quote. Who are these people? How many of them have Obama has Obama encountered? He says he is always struck by them, implying that he has met a lot of them. He claims to know what they think about their success and what they think is reducible to I'm so great. Does this describe any successful person that you know? Admittingly, given that Obama's successful uh, acquaintances include a lot of Hollywood and musical industry bimbos, and that he himself may be the most successful, unaccomplished man in history, is it possible that his experience over-represents self-congratulatory, self-congratulatory megalomania. But this is no reason for him to imply that even wealthy, that or every wealthy person who does not want a tax hike is a delusional robber baron. No. The call-in number is 347-884-8500 if you'd like to chime in. Where is Stan? I happen to know that Obama girl is visiting her parents over in Omaha. And that she just chowed down an hour and a half ago on some very hefty uh, uh, French toast. Which she gleefully texted me to point out. 
visiting her mama. So, but she did text me to gleefully state that Colin Powell has endorsed Barack Hussein Obama and say that, well, and I after I stated that it means absolutely nothing just a couple of weeks before the election, that Colin Powell knew exactly what he was doing. He was covering his bases, keeping his black card, and endorsing the president just two weeks before the election when most of the people have already made up their minds. She said that it didn't matter at all, that Colin Powell was sending a message. Yes, indeed, he did send a message. General Powell sent an overwhelming message that he sat on the fence for a whole year and a half, two years, before endorsing the president just two weeks before the election. What kind of message does that send? One wonders. But nevertheless, after I smacked down Obama girl while she was bragging about her massive amounts of French toast she was gobbling down, and the fact that she was gleefully glee over the uh, belated endorsement by General Colin Powell of Barack Hussein Obama, I moved on to other things. Perhaps she'll be back later. In fact, I, I did say to her, Colin Powell, uh, he's absolutely no longer relevant. You know, <laughs> maybe four years ago, but uh, he's an old man now, just kind of sitting at home in his Barco lounger. What's his endorsement mean anyway? But, you know, I didn't go that far because we were texting back and forth, and she was more interested in her French toast uh, made on some massive pieces of Texas toast than she was about Colin Powell anyway. She was all into that French toast. But, hey, repeatedly, folks, as these instances of Obama's misspeaking pile up, as we ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, how could he be so ignorant of how this remark would sound to voters? How? The fact is that when you regard as evidence of his stunning tone deafness, to him, the sweetest music, to Obama, a textbook leftist, the lifeless monotone of abstract humanity, the tune of not just you, of the disembodied everyone else, to him, to he alone, is the song of truth itself. It is a hallmark of collectivism to deny the primacy of the individual human being. That is, to deny, to deny the inheritance of ancient metaphysical genius and timeless common sense that made modern political liberty possible. This man, Barack Hussein Obama, is dangerous. In a sense, that is more literal than any reasonable person can easily understand. Individual human beings are not real for men like Obama. Hence, Obama's instincts for deflecting all individual human concerns is into consideration of everybody, by which he typically means not every person, but rather an abstract collective entity, quote, 
Example, the, quote, middle class, end quote. Or, quote, the people behind you, end quote. Or, even better still, quote, the people at the bottom. Uh, and another quote, uh, <laughs> a whole bunch of hardworking people. And on and on and on and on and the beat goes on. In this light, his more absurd abstractions, including those, even those, regarding his own experience being comprehensible. A who? A man who deliberately converts his own romantic past. Now, we spoke about this in the previous segment. A man who conveniently and deliberately converts his own romantic past into a composite girlfriend for autobiographical purposes. A man for whom individuals are merely symbols of higher, more general realities. Who identifies as the representative beneficiary of his policy agenda, a fictional cartoon character, Julia, a man, a man for whom no actual human being can satisfactorily represent the human condition, which in his mind transcends the individual. Now, Beer Hunter's in the chat room. He writes that Colin Powell must have been one of those mythical undecideds. Indeed. Indeed. Now, back to Obama, who presumably, presumably having been born in Hawaii, allows his literary agent to represent him for 17 years as having been born in Kenya... A man for whom no mere concrete personal facts can be allowed to stand in the way of deeper symbolic realities that he that he wishes to represent, who instinctively refrains uh, reframe, reframes reframes every question from or about a real flesh and blood person as a challenge to the dignity of the abstract. Everybody, everyone, an abstraction which he holds up as a rebuke to the petty concerns of the flesh and blood human beings before him. A man who, whose collectivist sensibilities and Marxist ideology are so deeply ingrained that his mind has complete, completed the leftist intellectual inversion the concrete is abstract. The abstract concrete. In other words, the individual is abstract. The collective concrete. A rational man thinks that collective well-being is good. But not at the price of punishing, diminishing, or oppressing the individual. A leftist ideologue thinks the opposite. No price exacted upon individuals is too high to pay for the goal of collective well-being, which brings us to the health care bill, Obamacare. It's not about you as an individual receiving the best health care. 
What Obamacare does for us all is it waters down our choices. It waters down our care. It waters down the best care given. Because, quite frankly, me being able to get an appointment tomorrow, if I call my doctor tomorrow, I can get an appointment for the same day or the next day. It's not about me being able to get that appointment. He wants all of us to be able to get an appointment on the same day, which would never happen. So if we all can't get an appointment the day of or the day after calling our doctor's office, then none of us should. Reminds me of the movie The Incredibles when everybody is super then nobody will be. I'm paraphrasing. The difference, of course, is that individualism is consistent with reality, while collectivism is not. Thus, the individualist perspective. There's no inconsistency between the good of individuals and the genuine well-being of the collective entity, the state, the populist, etc., because the collective is correctly understood as a secondary reality, dependent on the primary reality, namely the, the individual human lives. That's what America is founded on. That is what America is founded on. Individuals, individual liberty. I have stated over and over and over again that we as Americans cannot live as a collective as Europe, some European uh, uh, states do. We are hardwired from the very beginning of our great nation for freedom, freedom, an individual achievement, individual achievement. Imagine a football team, say one of my favorite teams, my favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They talk all the time about it being a team game. And it's, it's 12 guys, I mean 11 men. 11 men on the field, and all 11 men are important, and all 11 men working in concert. But cross that with the fact that we have individual statistics. Quarterback completions. Uh, receivers' uh, number of catches. Runs after the catch. Individual statistics abound in what is labeled and touted as a team game. Collectivism, by contrast, is reversing the natural cause-effect relationship between the concrete and the abstract by detaching is, it, its conception of the, the people. And that's what we're talking about, folks. This is why President Obama is dangerous He needs to be relieved of his duties effectively. November 6th. He's got to go. He has got to go. Before he does any more damage to this great nation, the call in number is 347-884-8500. If you believe that the product of your voluntary, voluntary interaction with your surroundings and with society is your rightful property, as a logical extension of your right to life, 
then to Obama, you're an obstacle. If you are frustrated that so much of your life's efforts is confiscated by the government to pay for programs and regulations that thwart your ability to pursue happiness, you're an obstacle. If you believe your natural right to self-preservation precludes any government panel or regulatory bureaucracy determining which available medical treatments you or your loved ones ought to be allowed to pursue to Obama, you are an obstacle. The leftist default assumption is that your assertion of individual dignity are annoying. Annoying mirages cast along the path of progressive or progress to prevent the full, the full, the full realization of his abstract dreams of collector perfection, where you cannot merely be swept aside. You must be persuaded of your unimportance, indeed, of your ultimate unreality. Thus, thus, the famous, you didn't build that. The fact that you're getting a college education is great, but... Thus, I think when you spread the wealth around, whose wealth, by the way, it's good for everybody. Except those whose wealth you're spreading around, then it's not so good. Obama's supporters, and particularly those who have been sold the liberal bill of goods to the effect that the president and the Democrats, quote, care about you, more than Mitt Romney and the Republicans must finally come to terms with the fact that in Barack Obama's mind, in, in, in the world that he envisions, there is no you. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me. Dr. C. Robert Jones. Yeah, we will take a short break, but uh, <laughs> I just think I'm going to roll. I'm going to roll with it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's. Let, well, I tell you what. Let's let's go ahead and and uh, and 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 take a take a break. Let's let's do that. But before we do that, folks, I hope that you're getting out and. Um, and you're spreading the word around. I hope that you're out and because, because there's only a few days left. Only a few days left. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones. Had the economics. A free economy will not break down. All depressions are caused by government interference that we should strip away regulations, consumer protections, let the market run wild, and prosperity would rain down on all of us. Uh, it hasn't worked out that way. The cure is always uh, offered so far to take more of the poison that caused the disaster. And so now we've got to take some decisive action. This plan's one reason that mortgage interest rates are now at near historic lows. To that end, we've launched a program designed to support the markets for more affordable auto loans, student loans, 
and small business loans, a program that's already securitized more of this lending in the last week than in the last four months combined. Depressions are not a result of a free economy. Uh, labor leaders get together to initiate legislation to help labor. That is only acting on the same principle, namely all parties agreeing that it is proper for the state to legislate in favor of one economic group or another. Middle class need a rescue package. It means help for homeowners so that they can stay in their homes. It means that we are helping state and local governments uh, set up road projects and bridge projects. You need somebody working for you, and you've got to have somebody in Washington who's thinking about the middle class and not just those who can afford to hire lobbyists. The country is run by majority rule through ballot, and that majority seems to prefer to vote for this modified welfare state. Oh, I don't believe that. You know as well as I do that the majority today has no choice. As President of the United States, Alan, I would order the Secretary of the Treasury to immediately buy up the bad home loan mortgages in America. The second step we took was to launch a plan to stabilize the housing market. Yesterday, Secretary Geithner announced a new plan that will partner government resources with private investment to buy up the assets that are preventing our banks from lending money. What do you mean? The majority has never been offered a choice between control and freedom. Until we stabilize home values in America, we're never going to start turning around and creating jobs. The strategy to create jobs? Fixing our economy. That's why we put in place a comprehensive strategy designed to attack this crisis on all fronts. But we must remember that we can get there if we travel that road as one nation, as one people. Is that not true? No, it isn't. Oh. Uh, this country was made not by rubber barons, but by independent men, by industrialists who succeeded on sheer ability. And Which having... I mean without political force, help, or compulsion. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, folks, to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Southern Sense show tomorrow at 2 p.m. Be there or be square. I plan to be there. You know, I've been quite uh, the busy bee these last uh, these last three weeks, and I haven't been able to, to tune into the blog talk radio shows, the shows of uh, a great many hosts that I admire and uh, seek to emulate here on uh, on blog talk radio. I've been I've been way out of the loop. You know, there used to be a time where I would engage in uh in a blog talk on, on, on a lot of the a lot of the shows. I'd even call in to a few here and there. Uh I I'd I'd listen in in my car on my iPad, even even while shopping for groceries in the store and I've sort of gotten away from that and I don't know how that's happened. But things are winding down here. End of year is well, end of year. And my work is pretty much done for the rest of the year, which means I get to relax for about three months and do absolutely nothing, which is great. And uh, but so then I'll be back in the swing of things with uh, with the uh, with the radio shows that I love so much. Uh, so Annie, the radio chick's got a show coming up first thing tomorrow at two p.m. Be there or be square, unless I am dead, which 
quite frankly, I don't plan to be. Um, I'll be there, but you know, tomorrow's promise to no one. But I'll be there, and hopefully you will too. And uh, you know, I also I'm gonna I'm gonna create a list of uh, some of the other uh, blog talk hosts who who have shows coming up as well. Uh, so it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a great weekend, folks. I'm lo- I'm very much looking forward to the weekend. Uh, uh. There are a lot of political movies coming out uh, with this season on American movie classics and Turner Classic movies. Hey, you know what? And and I just I just discovered that all of my uh, all of the favorite movies that you and I used to watch as kids, you know, the fifty Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, you know, and the movie about the damn giant uh, spiders and ants and tarantulas and all that. That's all on Turner Classic Movies, and uh, yeah, yeah, it just takes me way way back this time of year. This is a great time of year, folks. Really, really cool to be to be alive in this uh, in in this time and age. It's really great to be alive anyway. I guess I'm just rambling. I should stop right now. Hey. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to my show tonight. You guys are great. There's so many things that you could be doing with your time, and you chose to come in and listen to my show and participate, and I so do appreciate it. I'm vastly approaching 200,000 listens, 200,000 listens and downloads. And I remember just a year ago when I was so happy, I was ecstatic in telling everyone who would listen, I'm up to a thousand listens. I'm up to fifteen hundred downloads. Wow, <laughs> time has sure flown, and we have a great show here, a great uh, radio show. So does Annie Southern Sense, uh, and, and so many other hosts, so many other blog talk hosts. Dana's got a great show, uh, but but hey. Without further ado, well, we're going to check on out of here and, and get going. Thank you so much for listening to my show. I want to say God bless you and God bless the United States of America. And let's get on prepared to vote because dude has got to go. I'm telling you right now, he has got to go. Nevertheless, God bless you and God bless the United States of America. We are out. O-U-T. Good night, folks. <laughs>